All right, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James here. This is the uh, Genesis to Revelation show with our usual co-host, Dan from Georgia. How are you doing today, Dan? I'm doing great. Okay, we're we're going to be venturing into a new book. We finished Deuteronomy last week, and so we're going to go into Joshua, and we're going to be discussing also the racial uh, heritage of Rahab, the so-called harlot, and we're going to be doing that when we get to Joshua chapter 2. So, uh, Dan, go ahead and pick it up from chapter 1. Okay, here we go. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of Yahweh, it came to pass that Yahweh spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not be any man, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do, to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy, war pros- thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for Yahweh thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host, and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan, to go in to possess the land, which Yahweh your God gives you to possess it. And to the Reubenites, And to the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses the servant of Yahweh commanded you, saying, Yahweh your God has given you rest and has given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side, Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them. Until Yahweh have given your brethren rest as he has given you, and they also have possessed the land which Yahweh your God gives them. 
Then ye shall return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side, Jordan, toward the sun rising. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us we will do, and whithersoever thou sendest us, send, sendest us we will go. According as we hearkened unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only Yahweh thy God be with thee, as he was with Moses. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment, and will not hearken unto the words in all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Only be strong and of a good courage. Okay, a uh, couple of points here. Uh, number one, hearkening back to Deuteronomy 20, where <clears throat> Moses gives the rules of engagement actually to Joshua and the Israelites. Uh, it's pretty evident that uh, those rules of engagement were given well before they crossed the Jordan uh, to take over Canaan land. Okay. And the importance there is, as, as along with the command to uh, practice the feast days and commemorate them uh, year by year, they weren't able to do that either while they were wandering in the wilderness. So, uh, and uh, a third point here is it says written down that these rules were written down, which which proves conclusively <laughs> that. The, the writing of the Old Testament, the Torah, and of course this book of Joshua proceeded previous to 1406 BC, which is now considered, thanks to the research done at Mount Ebal, proves conclusively that all these words were written down in Paleo-Hebrew, or Proto-Hebrew is the term that these archaeologists use now for that. All of this stuff was uh, Joshua was mindful of all these things, and it proves that the the writing was uh, there, that the Bible was written by Moses, that the Torah was written by Moses well before the Israelites took possession of Canaan land, etc., etc. All right, so uh, just as, uh, as with the uh, commandments, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the uh, uh, the commandments of how to engage the enemy. Joshua had this instruction before they crossed over from the Jordan, and he was told after taking care of the Canaanites, who, who, who Moses and Joshua were commanded to exterminate or, or drive out of the land short of extermination if they couldn't do that. Uh, then uh, the other people, such as the Philistines and other houses and tribes that were around in that area, they were to give them instructions you know, either... Uh, don't either you if you stand in our way you know uh, we, we make terms of peace but you have to accept our terms uh, either you will be tributary to us or we will make war against you okay these terms were not offered to the Canaanites all right so uh, a lot and, and plus the territory that was given to uh, the, these two and a half tribes, Reuben and uh, let's see, what was the other tribes? Half tribe of Manasseh and uh, and others. This is actually the territory which Ruth went to when there was a drought in Judah. Okay, so uh, again, what we see here is if you're not paying attention to the history of the migrations of the Israelites uh, post Exodus into Canaan land. Uh, you cannot possibly understand what's going on here. But here we have proof, proof positive that Joshua was following written instructions. Uh, they're written down by Moses and being kept by the Israelites in some form or another. You know, probably parchment. I think that's what the, what the going uh, method of writing, and those would be rolled up. Uh, parchment is pretty uh, t uh, tough stuff, right? Unless you, unless it gets wet. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, so, oh, very good. Uh, so, let's go to chapter two. Okay. Did you want to read the article first? or? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, because she, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, because Rahab is mentioned in verse three and, uh, oh, no, actually in verse one. And she's referred to as a harlot. But let me just uh, use, uh, go to the concordance here. Ishaw. Isha is the feminine, oh great, okay, the feminine uh, version of 
uh, of the masculine uh, for a male harlot, okay? So uh, it's a two-word. It's a combination of two words here. The second which is zana, uh, highly, uh, uh, therefore, wanton to commit adultery. And it, it does say to commit adultery, but it's also used in a figurative sense. So I think it's it's certainly possible that Rahab, since, as I have researched, she was the wife of a an Egyptian emissary, which means that she had married a Hamite. There's absolutely no doubt that uh, she had married a Hamite. But she herself was not a Hamite, okay? She herself was uh, an Israelite woman. She was the, of the house of Ephraim. So this word harlot could be taken in the sense that, while well, she married someone who's, who's not an Israelite, and it may uh, not mean anything more than that, okay? So it says, uh, the, the other word is isha, a woman used in the same sense as H582. I'll see if I can, rats, I can't get the 582 to come up. <laughs> All right, so continuing. Uh, adulterer or adulteress, each, every female, uh, uh, together, wife, woman, often unexpressed in English. Okay, so it has multiple meanings. It has multiple meanings. doesn't necessarily mean a harlot in the sense of a, a actual prostitute, but it can mean uh, figuratively. Like, for example, Abraham's father, Terah, was an idolater. <laughs> okay. He was an idolater, which is, uh, you can, you can uh, express that in terms of harlotry as well, right? Figuratively, all right? So, and, and uh, there was probably a, little, a lot of literal harlotry going on there too. So I think the uh, translators have jumped to a conclusion that Rahab was a, indeed a literal harlot when she was figuratively an idolater. I think that's what we're dealing with here. So go ahead with the article. I'll put that article in the chat room for people uh, share it with them. Okay, go ahead. Okay. <clears throat> One of Israel's most dramatic and detailed conquests, as described in the biblical record, is that which occurred at Jericho, just after the nation had crossed the Jordan River. The supernatural crumbling of Jericho's walls stands as a spiritual lesson to all Christians. It makes the select accounts of faith, as outlined in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Verse 30. In that history of Jericho is a remarkable character. And in the listings of Hebrews 11, if you could only list one person for the faith displayed in the Jericho account, who would it be? Verse 31 reads, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she okay. had received the spies with peace. Okay, <clears throat> let me just Rahab. comment here. Yeah, sorry, because... Uh, uh, since the, a lot of these words, the translations have been given to the Judeo-Christian world by rabbis, okay, uh, the, the rabbis had an intense interest in, uh, in besmirching the, uh, the heritage of Yahshua Messiah, okay? So it's more than likely that the Strong's Concordance follows the Jewish definitions of a lot of these words you know uh, most of the time they're innocuous but i think in this case uh th they fail to reckon the uh figurative usage of the words okay and uh which is clear in uh, james james 225 where it says this is a figurative uh definition okay it could be literal could be figurative so uh, my thinking is that since she was indeed married to a, a, a Hamite, uh, the, uh, the the rabbis would want to be smirt, besmirch the lineage of Yahshua Messiah, and therefore you know, give this uh, you know the word harlot a, a literal meaning when in fact it is not. She she, she uh, we're not told that whether she even had any children by this Hamite, and uh, we're not given. Uh, his, I think there might even his name actually might be given, but his title, his title as emissary in the uh, in the Hebrew is given uh, as we go through this. We'll get there, okay? So uh, uh, please continue. Rahab is specifically mentioned for her faith, for surviving as the rest of her city perished, 
<clears throat> and for receiving the spies with peace. <clears throat> Excuse me. She is the last Hebrews 11 character mentioned in detail. The remaining are merely in a list of names. She is the last woman mentioned by name and the only woman named in Hebrews chapter 11 besides Sarah. So both Paul Comment. and yes, yeah, so both Paul and James see fit to mention her because she is in fact an Israelite of the tribe of Ephraim. That's as, as this article will reveal. So if she was a quote-unquote harlot, it, uh, maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. It could be the same situation as with David and uh, who was the, the, uh, the woman he, he took after murdering her husband, <laughs> Uriah the Hittite? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Now, Bathsheba was married to Uriah, but we don't know if they ever consummated the marriage, right? We don't know what happened. You know, ordinarily, you know, you have a uh, the consummation of the marriage takes place right after the ceremony, okay? But uh, she may not uh, conceive as a result of that consummation. So, uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, the uh, the here, here we have a territorial usage. In my opinion, uh, Uriah the Hittite is a territorial designation. The same is true of Ruth, the uh, Moabitess, being a territorial designation. And also in uh, in uh, the Torah, we have Moses being designated as an Egyptian, which he obviously was not by race, but by uh, by territory. Okay, So we have all of these designations of very famous Israelites as to the territory that they were, were living in, not the race they belonged to. Back to you. Commenting on Hebrews chapter 11, <clears throat> Herbert Armstrong wrote that Hebrews 11 implies certainly that others such as the harlot Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and Samuel will be in God's kingdom. We cannot presume to decide what office Christ has in store for them. And there are many, many others. Another remarkable reference to Rahab is found in the epistle of James. Notice the context first. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. James amen. chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Amen, amen, and amen. Yep. James names only two Old Testament figures as examples of faith coupled with works. If you had to pick from two from all that history, who would you come up with? Abraham demonstrated great faith when offering up Isaac. To pair with this friend of God, James writes, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? Verse 25. The Greek word justify means to render righteous, to pronounce as just. James puts Rahab's faith in receiving spies on similar level to Abraham's faith in offering Isaac. Okay, so to pronounce as just, meaning to be clean, all right, uh, that, that your sins were forgiven you, so that uh, whatever Rahab did, her sins were forgiven her. I sincerely doubt that she actually conceived of the her Egyptian husband, the emissary, uh, but so uh, this is why I'm thinking that every one of these references to her as a harlot is figurative, not literal. Back to you. While Israel camped 14 miles from Jericho <clears throat> on the other side of Jordan, Joshua sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. The undeniable fact is that the word harlot is used in both the New Testament and Old Testament accounts. The Hebrew meaning for this word is literally to commit fornication. So even though she wasn't a Canaanite, she was not a virgin. Her mention in Matthew's genealogy has her alongside other women who broke the seventh commandment, Tamar and Bathsheba. On the other hand, however, it is highly doubtful she was an active prostitute at this time or that the spies were sent to an actual whorehouse. 
Okay, so, yeah, so sorry, sorry to interrupt here. So, uh, it, the, also the assumption that those who wish to besmirch the lineage of Yahshua Messiah assume that she was a Canaanite. That she was not a Canaanite. She was an Israelite of the house of Ephraim who was probably married to a Hamitic ambassador. Back to you. The fact remains, she had a sinful past. Even in this account, she lied to protect the spies. God did not ask her to do that, and he could have protected them even if she were completely honest. We would not presume any human in the Bible is perfect. Rahab teaches us that, in spite of our past sins, even if a label follows us beyond the grave, we can be forgiven, cleansed, granted repentance, and throw our lives into God's work. They forgot Look about the one words. person. <laughs> there was one person in the Bible who was perfect, right? <laughs> they forgot That's about true. him. <laughs> they forgot about him. All right. Yeah. Now, now this is now this is really silly, and I've heard this argument from so many Judeo Christians. Even though the uh, World Ch- Church of God uh, was Armstrong, and they were in fact you know, Christian identity, you know, they believed that the Israelites, uh, that the twelve tribes, uh, although they believed that the uh, Jews are Judah. They nevertheless recognize that the other 11 tribes were, uh, in fact, the Israelites, uh, the, the remnant of the 12 tribes. But the, this idea that uh, uh, lying be because of, uh, you know, while you're in a, engaged in a war, is somehow a sin, it's ridiculous, okay? The, uh, mm-hmm. the, the turn the other cheek it applies only to our brethren, those who commit, uh, you know, uh, an unjust act against us. It's not talking about invading armies. We're not talking about wartime. Uh, this idea that we can't, you know, it's not a sin to uh, spy out a, uh, you know, a, a, a city that's getting ready to be invaded, right? It's not a sin, period, okay? You know, what's the Ecclesiastes? There's a time for peace and a time for war, all right, and if you're a spy, you don't reveal your intentions. Period. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't believe that these uh, Judeo-Christian scholars are uh, should call them scholars, commentators are so naive. Back to you. Look at the work she could do, despite her past. James says that it was faith with works, works made, works that made her just or that pronounced her righteous. She could have been stymied by her past, but she was not. In his booklet on James, editor-in-chief Gerald Flurry writes, Rahab risked her life to save these messengers of Israel. At this point, she had repented of her sins and believed what the God of Israel said. Rahab's work showed her living faith. Joshua chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 reads, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. Elder asked, But why this request? Why not send his official into Rahab's house to institute a search? Because no native could enter the embassy uninvited. In this incident may be seen the strong line of demarcation between Rahab and the Canaanites among whom she lived. All right, very good point. This is a reference to uh, Isabel Hill Elder. Okay, that's uh, that, they don't mention her previous to this in the article, I don't think. So they, they should have mentioned who she is. But that, uh, Isabel Hill Elder uh, uh, had written uh, many articles on the his history of Israel. Back to you. We, like Rahab, have to live among spiritual Canaanites. God did not promise to remove us from the world. John chapter 17, verse 15. But we must remain spiritually separate from it. Revelation chapter 18, verse 4. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. Joshua chapter 2, verse 6. These vegetables, after spread out on the flat roof to dry in the sun, are piled in numerous little stacks, which can rise to a height of three to four feet. Notice her words in verses 9 and 10. And she said unto the men, I know that Yahweh has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us. 
and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. And when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And Og was a she giant. Knew the okay, so Og there, was were, what? there were giants in those days. <laughs> oh, yeah, he definitely okay. was. Yep. She knew the land would be Israel's. She mentions Israel's God, not as their God, but as the God. She credits him for giving the land and drying the Red Sea. Just being an she Israelite, to be, she, she would have known Yahweh. Okay. She, cause mm-hmm. back, okay, back to you. She appears to be too young to have been alive when all that happened. But it's clear she knows the story. Her family would have passed that on. In Exodus chapter 15, verses 14 through 17, the song at the Red Sea prophesied how all inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away and that fear and dread shall fall upon them because of what God did at the Red Sea. Rahab's testimony to the messengers shows that this came true. Joshua chapter 2, verse 11 states, And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For Yahweh, your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. She acknowledges that Yahweh, your God, is God in heaven and earth. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by Yahweh, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and to deliver our lives from death. Verses 12 and 13. She asked to be spared from the death penalty because of how she helped God's work. We can see here, she is not too old here. She has father, mother, and siblings. Now, interesting. And the men ants. She, she doesn't mention having any children. Okay. So uh, her marriage to the Egyptian ambassador probably did not result in children. For whatever reason, because for one one reason could be that uh, ambassadors were on the move quite a lot, <laughs> right, between Egypt and mm-hmm. Canaan land, because this whole territory of Canaan was under the uh, authority of the Egyptians, okay? All of Canaan land was under the authority of the Egyptians, and uh, they were tributary to Egypt. Back to you. And the men answered her, our life for yours. If ye utter not this our business, and it shall be when Yahweh has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Verse 14. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. By the way, that that wall and that window still stand as a witness to, to this chapter of Joshua. Back to you. The house being situated there may add evidence to it being some sort of embassy or consulate. She let them down by a cord and told them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may you go your way. Verse 16. Rahab sent the pursuers to the fords of Jordan while the spies hid in the mountain. Notice how the spies replied. We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of the house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head. If any hand be upon them, and if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. Verses 17 through 21. The scarlet thread in this account is significant. 
just as the blood on the doorposts of the Israelites protected their firstborn from the death angel that smote Egypt four decades earlier, so would this thread shield anyone within Rahab's walls. A literal scarlet thread itself is also mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. It was significant in the birth of Judah's twin sons through Tamar, Genesis chapter 8, Genesis chapter 38, verses 28 through 30. In Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 3, Christ mentions his wife having lips like scarlet thread. Scarlet is also the color that represents sin, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. But it also comes from the worm that was a symbol for Christ's sacrifice, as described in Psalm chapter 22, verse 6. The color represents escaping the penalty of sin. Rahab was a reformed harlot whose physical escape from the destruction of Jericho under the symbol of scarlet thread is an exact type of how we can come under the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and escape the death penalty. Okay, again, this is an assumption that she was a harlot. They just argued that she was probably very young, right? She doesn't have any children. And it is a fact, though, that a lot of these uh, inns, or, but this was not an inn. This was the house of an embassy, an, an emissary. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, I, I think the historians simply falsely presume that this house was an inn where, uh, you know, it, it was an inn for Egyptians, <laughs> right, for Hamites, but not necessarily a house of prostitution or a place where liquor was served, okay? So I think all mm-hmm. of this uh, tradition that Rahab was a harlot is just based on assumptions. Back to you. Joshua chapter 2, verses 22 and 23 <clears throat> show that the spies returned to Joshua after hiding in the mountains three days. Verse 24 quotes their words to Joshua. Truly, Yahweh has delivered into our hands all the land. For even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. In this full report, what is recorded is that the people were terrified of Israel. The spies didn't do much other exploring, and this was all Joshua needed to hear. He may have also wondered if there were any righteous in Jericho to spare, which this report would have confirmed for him. Joshua and Israel moved to the banks of Jordan early the very next day, and lodged there three more days. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then, the day after that, came the miraculous crossing of the Jordan by this entire nation. This was at a time of year when Jordan was typically overflowing due to melting snow from the region of Lebanon. But God drove the river back as far as the eye could see, verses 15 and 16. It wasn't long before all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, And all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that Yahweh had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel, after which their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. Chapter 5, verse 1. They would have heard of the drying up of the Red Sea, right? So now, oh my God, he's drying up the Jordan River. Run, run, run. Okay, so that's how they would have received this news. Okay, back to you. Mm-hmm. They camped several miles west of the Jordan on the outskirts of an immense palm forest in a place which came to be known as Gilgal, verse 9, which is where they kept the Passover on the 14th of the month, verse 10, which began the evening before at sunset. The day of the 14th, the captain of the host appeared to Joshua and told him how to take Jericho, verses 13 through 15. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And Yahweh said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Joshua chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. Jericho was already theirs. God told Joshua to compass the city seven days, the details of which are found in verses 3 through 5. Verse 14 shows that they compassed the city once a day for six days and then returned to the camp. On the seventh day, which was the seventh and last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were to march around the city seven times. They they started at dawn, verse 15, which, according to one commentator, would have taken them about the entirety of daylight to accomplish. 
factoring in respites between marching. And so they would have entered the city around sundown at the end of the holy day when the fighting would begin. Joshua chapter 24 verse 11 says the men of Jericho fought back. Before they started marching that day, notice what Joshua told the people. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, to Yahweh. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. <clears throat> and she and all that are are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Joshua chapter 6, verse 17. Israel was told what Rahab did and how her house was to be spared. Everything in the city was cursed and to be destroyed, except for the silver and gold, which wouldn't burn. Joshua chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Jericho would undergo complete destruction, except Rahab's house. So the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass, when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Verse 20. Remember the Hebrews chapter 11 account. By faith the walls fell. But then Israel had to go in and actually take the city. It was faith coupled with works, which Rahab herself personified. And remember, the part but, of the city wall that did not fall is Rahab's house. Fascinating. Yeah, that really is. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The Bible is true and every man a liar. <laughs> it is. Okay. It, it sure is. Right. But, but Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she has as you swear unto her. Verse 22. The same two spies were responsible for extracting Rahab and her family. God had already supernaturally protected her from the destruction of the walls. Now the spies were to see to it that she was protected from the invasion to personally ensure their promise to her was kept. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. The spies were young men, as was all of Israel at this time, excluding Joshua and Caleb. The oldest would have been under 60 and most of the nation would have been under 40. Not only did Rahab survive thanks to her faith, she was able to help save her father, mother, brothers, and all her kindred. Even. Okay, remember, it doesn't say she had any children. So chances are she may have even been a virgin. Yeah. Okay? That's very possible. Mm -hmm. Remember, Ephraimites had been living there since before the Exodus. And any in that town, Rahab's kindred, likely would have gone to this place of safety. Notice verses 24 and 25. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of Yahweh. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwells in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And also it doesn't, Again, mention, it doesn't mention her husband either. Okay, so... Yep, and that's yep, what this paragraph yep, is about. Yeah, okay, please say. continue. Yep. <clears throat> Again, there is no mention of her husband oh, or okay. children yeah. because she <laughs> married after this event. Okay. We, we know from Matthew she married Salmon and they had Boaz. She dwelled in Israel even unto the day of that writing which was likely decades after the miracles at Jericho. Only five years after Jericho, Caleb had asked Joshua for a specific mountain in Judah's inheritance, and Joshua gave him Hebron. See Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 15 records a great amount of detail regarding Judah's inheritance. And we know because of whom Rahab married that she would have settled there in Ephrath, to be exact, near where Rachel was buried. One of the men in that area founded Bethlehem, where Rahab's son would become a wealthy landowner. Remember, Joshua chapter 6, verse 25 said that all that she had was protected. Her goods weren't pillaged, 
It's no wonder her son Boaz would be so wealthy. Rahab stands as a testament to life-saving faith. It was a faith manifested through works, works that required her to risk her life for God's cause. That kind of faith takes a deep-rooted trust in God. Rahab also stands as a testament to God's forgiveness and how to move forward and support God's efforts despite a horribly sinful past. Again, James chapter 2, verse 25 reads, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? As Mr. Fleury writes in the James booklet, does God still view Rahab as a harlot? He only gives her that label within this context in order to teach a lesson. In his mind, she is right up there with Abraham, a friend of God. What a marvelous example. Some say they can't deal with certain individuals in the church because of past sins. That is nothing but self-righteousness. In the kingdom of God, when Rahab is exalted to the heights, no one will be whispering about her being a harlot. We all make mistakes. When we do, it is our responsibility to bury them and grow in character and to become the friends of God. Rahab teaches us to move forward and do all we can to support this mighty, miraculous work. Abraham and Rahab believed God and proved it by their works. They showed their faith by their works. They acted on their faith by doing exactly what God said. God's work became their work. This is how we bring our faith alive. Very good. I, said. I agree yeah. 100%. Amen. And it's a very good article in terms of you know whether uh, faith is given by mere belief that righteousness and salvation are provided by mere belief. This whole article proves that to be a lie. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. Back to you. Okay. Your works prove your faith. That's right. That's what it's saying. Yeah. No, I, I like to sit around on my couch clicking the remote. <laughs> <laughs> I believe. I'm yeah, good. Right. All I, I believe, do is yeah. believe. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting. I'm just waiting to be raptured. Thank you very much. <laughs> Sidebar, was Rahab a Canaanite? Matthew 1 contains one other New Testament reference to Rahab. Notice verses 3 through 6. And Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Thamar. And Phares begat Ezram, and Ezram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Salomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Four women are mentioned in this genealogy. Tamar, transliterated Thamar in the New Testament. Ruth, the wife of Uriah, or Bathsheba, and Rahab, a more accurate transliteration of the Hebrew. Some will contest that this is not the same Rahab as the one in Jericho, given the variant in the Greek spelling. However, Rahab was a Hebrew name, and names are commonly spelled differently when transliterated into a different language, especially in the case of two regionally different writers. Example, Paul, a Benjamite Jew, I don't know where they get that from, (laughs) and Matthew, a Galilean Jew. Maybe they mean to say Judean. Yeah, or or Judah, right? Judah, yeah. well, yeah, Judah, yeah. yeah, a Benjamite of the house of Judah. The, the, the yeah. correct, yeah, didn't phrase it correctly. Yeah, okay. Names may even be spelled differently in the same language at different times in history. Samuel spelled the name of Jesse's third son differently from Ezra centuries later. Compare the Hebrew in First Samuel chapter sixteen, verse nine to 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 13. If Matthew mentions only four women in the genealogy of Christ, and all but this Rahab can be found elsewhere in the biblical record, why name Rahab at all? Given the number of generations between Judah and Christ, Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, the age of Judah when he conceived Perez and Zerah of his daughter-in-law, where Boaz, son of Rahab, was in the history of the judges and his age when he married Ruth, all this confirms that this is the same Rahab. As the mother of Boaz and an ancestor of Jesus Christ, 
She is a significant figure in both the Old and New Testaments. In Mystery of the Ages, Herbert W. Armstrong wrote, Jesus Christ was born of the tribe of Judah, and it was necessary that he be of the original pure racial strain, even as Noah was. Amen. <laughs> Amen. This is Herbert W. Armstrong saying this. <laughs> okay. He's not a two-seed liner, but he was Christian identity. Back to you. The Hebrew word that tell us of Noah's perfect genealogy, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, is the same word for without blemish that's used in Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. The verse that describes the Passover lamb, the same Hebrew is used for without blemish when referring to other sacrificial lambs in the Old Testament. Amen. Rahab, Rahab therefore, would have to be of Israelite stock. All the women mentioned in Matthew's genealogy were such. Bathsheba was the granddaughter of Ahithophel, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 3, and 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 24, who was from a city occupied by the tribe of Judah since the days of Joshua. There you go. Ruth was from Moab, which was the common term used for the land occupied by the tribes of Israel, Reuben, Gad, and East Manasseh, east of the Jordan River. Ruth would not have been considered eligible to need a near kinsman to marry her if she were an actual Moabite in ethnic heritage. Terrific observation. Yeah, really. this is a good article. Yeah. Tamar was the Hebrew daughter of uh, Tamar was the Hebrew daughter-in-law of Judah. She had married Judah's half Canaanite firstborn son, but they never conceived a child. None of Judah's half Canaanite sons conceived through Tamar, as described in Genesis chapter 38. Judah fornicated with Tamar after his Canaanite wife had died, and Tamar conceived for Rez and Zerah. So, even though it was a sinful conception in one sense, it was pure in terms of racial strain. Close only counts in, in horseshoes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just because Rahab dwelled in Canaan before Joshua was there does not mean that she was a Canaanite. The question is, were there Israelites there before Joshua? Yes, some descendants of Ephraim, as Ezra tells us much later in the Old Testament record. The word Rahab literally means broad or wide, even proud. It is understood, however, to be the poetical name of Egypt. See Psalms chapter 87, verse 4. Isaiah also uses the word Rahab poetically to depict Egypt. Gesenius's Hebrew Chaldee lexicon says the name is probably of Egyptian origin, but accommodated to the Hebrew language. Again, there's no doubt that Rahab was an Egyptian, a Hamite, right? Or, uh, I, I'm sorry, uh, that, that she lived in uh, an Egyptian household, put it that way, okay? Uh, more proof that this was an em uh, embassy, not a Canaanite dwelling. Back to you. There was a particular Israelite family that had its origins in Egypt, Joseph's family. Ephraim was born to Joseph and the princess Asenath, but this wasn't an interracial marriage either, as Abraham and Job had already had a heavy influence in the royal house of Egypt. Notice where some of Ephraim's descendants went before the children of Israel went into cap Egyptian captivity. First Chronicles chapter 7, verses 20 through 24 read, and the sons of Ephraim, whom the men of Gath that were born in that land slew, because they came down to take away their cattle. And Ephraim, their father, mourned many days, and his brethren came to comfort him. And when he went into his wife, she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Bariah, because it went evil with his house. And his daughter was Sherah, who built Beth-Haron, Beth the nether, and the upper and Uzan Sharah. Okay, so the, the, the tribe of Ephraim actually went in and tried to raid the Canaanites, uh, apparently in the, near the vicinity of, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the name of the town? I forget. Uh, I'm trying to remember yeah. things, and uh, I, got, uh, I got sidetracked here. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the city that they're trying to destroy here, okay, uh, 
Not Jericho. Jericho. Yeah, I'm thinking Jethro instead of Jericho. So the uh, it's really obvious that this was an unauthorized raid committed by the tribe of Ephraim, and therefore Yahweh allowed the Canaanites to defeat them. And if it weren't for the fact that uh, Ephraim bore Beriah, there there would be no lineage through Ephraim. Very important. Okay, back to you. Ephraim's son moved into the Canaanite region before any Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. Ephraim also had a granddaughter whose family built parts of Canaan. So they had left Egypt and had a presence in Canaan before the Exodus. The daughter Sherah built Beth Horon, the upper, and Beth Horon, the lower. Later, the cities built in Canaan by the granddaughter of Ephraim were eventually given to Ephraim's descendants when Joshua came into the promised land. Joshua chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. It's most likely that Rahab was a descendant of Ephraim as well. When born, she was given a name meaning remembering Egypt. That could indicate she came from an Ephraimite family living there. And with the rest of the family in Egypt, her family may have been ambassadors for Egypt. Numbers chapter 14, verse 9 shows that one of the reports from Joshua and Caleb after spying out Canaan was, their defense is departed from them. This was within the first year since Egypt had been decimated after the Exodus. This confirms that the Egyptians were the overlords of Canaan until that time, and that any of their occupying troops in Canaan withdrew at the time of the Red Sea miracle. Rahab may have been born around or after the time spies were sent to Canaan. She was still childbearing at childbearing age after Jericho and over 40 years after Red Sea. Okay, very good. And the Amarna letters prove conclusively that the Canaanites were, because uh, that, that uh, uh, correspondence between the Canaanites and the Egyptians proves conclusively that the, they no longer had the protection of the Egyptians after the Exodus because the Egyptian army was destroyed. <laughs> All right. But they still, the Egyptians still held on, you know, to a shred of their former glory. And the Canaanites were complaining to Egypt, Hey, we're being invaded by these, uh, Habiru. That was the term they used to uh, designate the Israelites. Why don't you help defend us? Well, the reason is they couldn't. <laughs> Their army had been destroyed. All right, let's get back to Joshua, chapter 2. All right, okay. chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the women took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out, whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. Okay, and the all men- right. Rahab lied. <laughs> she lied. Shame on her. Yeah, shame <laughs> on her, right? Okay. It's just unbelievable. How dare you lie to the enemy? Yeah, how, how dare you lie in time of war to your enemy? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I just can't believe how these Judeo commentators don't understand that in times of war, you don't tell your enemy where you are. <laughs> that's, that's just common sense. Yeah, I mean, that's right. But no, insane. you shouldn't lie. That's just more proof that the Bible is a covenant book and it does not apply to non-Israelites. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Verse 7, And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords, 
And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that Yahweh has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard now how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For Yahweh, your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. And man there, now there is Ish, not Adam which we would expect, all right? Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by Yahweh, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be when Yahweh has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get ye to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this scarlet line, this line of scarlet thread in ah, the window. Okay. Yeah, I was just which, wondering, what what is the symbol? What is the token? And it turns out it's that scarlet thread. Very good. Behold, when we come into the land... Thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head. And we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went and came unto the mountain and abode there three days until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, truly, Yahweh has delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the countries do faint because of us. Okay, so this is very interesting because there's no way that Joshua and the Israelites would have known that the entire land of Canaan had been an Egyptian uh, tributary, okay? And uh, the reason why the Canaanites were unable to mount any kind of defense was because they were tributary to Egypt, and certainly the Egyptians would have disarmed them to some extent so that they couldn't fight back against the Egyptians, which means pretty much that these Canaanites were defenseless against the Israelites, okay? And that's why they were sending the letters, the Amarna letters, back to Egypt complaining, hey, you need to come and help us. We can't, uh, these Habiru are destroying us. But there was no way the Egyptians could protect them, all right, because mm -hmm. they had lost their army, all right? So the historians, the archaeology proves that all this is accurate. It's wonderfully accurate. All right. Uh, so All right. we'll pick it up on Joshua Chapter 3 next week. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Okay, folks. See you uh, later today on Restoration. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.